It's Build a Big Podcast, the marketing podcast for podcasters. I'm David Hooper. This episode, a little bit different. Not only am I interviewing somebody, I'm going to continue the thread about getting good audio for your podcast. So it's less about marketing, more about quality audio. But this one, it's not just about the technical aspects of audio. It is about the process of recording your interviews, working with guests. How do you schedule things? I've got Chris Curran from Podcast Engineering School. I've known Chris for several years. Chris, like me, before he was in podcasting, was in the music industry. I was a marketing guy. Chris was in the studio working the board. And we're going to talk a little bit about that on this interview. There are a lot of lessons from working in the studio and working with musicians that apply to podcasting. You're going to get some of those lessons. Again, this is about the process from two people who have done thousands of episodes. We haven't run into everything because every episode is different, but we've run into some big things and a bunch of little things that I think are going to help you to have a really great podcast experience when you've got a guest, especially with remote recording. More and more people are doing that. If there's one thing about a pandemic, that has enabled us to jump in full force with this. And even if you can get somebody in person in the studio with you, sometimes it's nice to do a remote recording. It makes things easier on them, makes things easier on you. It's a good option. We're going to talk about that. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Chris Curran from Podcast Engineering School. Big Podcast. I had this whole thing planned out. There's been three iterations of this podcast. The first, I approached Chris and I said, hey, Chris, let's talk about audacity. Immediately, he turned into a man with a top hat, a monocle, and a British accent. And he said, <laughs> dear sir, audacity, good day. It's like, <laughs> he's a real engineer. He doesn't use audacity. So he's like, hell no. And then I thought, okay, I'll bring him on and just talk about good audio. That's pretty safe, right? And then this morning, right before we got on this session, I saw that you had mentioned that I had sent you an automated text reminding you of this interview. Yeah. So what I thought would be interesting to talk about, because you do a lot of interviews as a guest and as an engineer, is to talk about the process. I'm going to start by explaining how that happens. You can critique my process and then we're going to focus on how to get good sound. Because in the last year since coronavirus hit, we're doing all the radio interviews that I used to do remote. Right. We have made the guests, which are a lot of times these 70-year-old rock stars, we have turned them into engineers. <laughs> and right. I've had some experiences. <laughs> so you were somebody who was in that situation as well. And I thought it would be cool to put our heads together to talk about the process of booking guests, getting guests educated and making them, as you say, sound great. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, I, I teach a whole, at least an hour of my school, which is about 14 hours of in-class training. We spend at least an hour, probably a little more about how to connect with people over the internet and how to sound check them and how to avoid all the mistakes that can happen. So there's a lot to talk about here, actually. The first part of the process that I do, I have somebody fill out a form. I don't even know if I'm going to interview them or not. I want to know about the topic. I want to know their name. I want to know their contact information. So if I do interview them, I'm going to get their, their information that I can contact them and have a conversation, pre-interview, 
and do that. Right. But one of the things that I've started doing in the last year, because we've been doing so many remote interviews, I ask very specifically, what kind of mic are you using? And that tells me a lot. Right. That tells me, one, do you know what you're doing? Because some people say, well, man, I just talk into Zoom. It's like, no, that's probably not the audio that I need. Right. Or if you're doing that, I can help you. But the other thing it does, we're using clean feed right now, which is audio only, and that's my preference for recording. Hmm. How many times do people talk into the wrong side of a mic, Chris? Yeah, um, well, it's not as rampant as it as you might think it is, because, you know, a lot of times when people buy a microphone, they do actually look at it and try to, <laughs> and, and usually it's pretty clear which end to speak into. There's only a few mics, which is usually the side address microphones which right. are a little weird because people right. talk into the end of it and it's not correct right yeah it happens having that information has helped us to like i don't engineer my own show on music business radio i do for today but it, it's helped us because if i'm not seeing people i can say steve stewart's a scratch on the mic or i say tap on the mic where's the logo on the mic it helps me to better educate them on the sound because they've never maybe heard themselves they're hearing me through the headphones, and of course I sound great, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what normal people do, is like, even when normal people just plug in a microphone, they just think that, okay, that's it. I plugged in the mic, and we're, we're good to go. The way the microphone is facing, and their proximity to the microphone, and like, there's so many other things that matter, but most people don't understand that, and they shouldn't. There's nowhere in their life ever that they've been taught that, so. Right, right. That's the first part of the process for me is I get all the information, even the microphone that they're using. That's great. Before we even decide, are we going to do an interview? The other thing that I get is I get three agreements. I say, I understand that you are going to edit this podcast. Not that you might, but you are. And I also understand that you're not going to send those edits for approval. So that sets the pace to know that I'm the boss. Right. Not in a jerky kind of way, but I'm not going to delay my production to have you say, well, I don't know, and I need you to go back to minute 20 and 20 seconds, and it'd be cool if you took this out. It's like, no, we're going to edit it the best we can. You've got to trust us. But you also say that you're going to use a good mic, so we reiterate that again. And also that you're going to be from a quiet place. I don't want you in the middle of a Starbucks <laughs> or a bank vault. <laughs> oh, jeez. And I'll tell people specifically, if they don't know what I'm talking about, I say, just go in a closet full of clothes. If that's the best you've got, that's really not bad. If you can throw your laptop in there, put that mic in there, we're good to go. I mean, we're not perfect. I mean, I'm not a jerk about it. But yep. that's the first part of the process. Now, you are doing interviews a lot of times, like client work or something, where you don't have that kind of control over your guest. So I'm curious what this process the very initial part looks for you even before you started to roll tape. What kind of work do you do ahead of any kind of interview that you're recording? Not quite as much as you for my own show, the podcast engineering show. I mean, I just do everything manually. I contact people who I think might be a good guest, and then I ask them to fill out this form on my website, which basically just asks them about their production. Because on my show, we actually talk about how they are producing their own podcast. And so I asked them, like, what equipment are you using? What software do you use? Like, describe your production process. Because that's basically a way for me to weed out people that aren't really 
qualified to be on my show because my show goes very deep into the audio production. So if someone just tells me like, oh, I just plug in a USB mic and that's it. And I just send the audio to someone else to do production. Right. Well, then they're not qualified to be on my show. Yeah. Because they have nothing, like when I ask them about compressors and EQs and plugins, <laughs> and like they're, they don't even know what those words mean. So yeah. anyway, so I filter out people that way. It's like a, maybe it's just a tiny questionnaire about the actual content of the show. That's how I figure out if a guest is good for my show. Now, for my show, I just assume they have a decent mic because they're an audio producer or a podcaster. And usually they have a good mic. Or 10 mics. Clients, though, it's a little different. I give my clients like a, a little template invitation. It's like almost like a sound checklist to send their guests. The way I work with clients is that I actually run the recording sessions remotely. So from my home, I create a virtual session. You know, we're using Clean Feed right now. Sometimes I'll use Squadcast, sometimes Zencaster, and sometimes Riverside.fm. How do you make that decision? Yeah, so I've had my favorites for years, which is Squadcast and Zencaster, but now Riverside came along, and now they're all doing video too, so now it's a little more muddy, but all these platforms are really good and reliable, and that's important, right? Because if you're going to do anything, it needs to be reliable, so... Let me ask you about the video, because you mentioned that. Are you recording the video too, or is that just for people to interact with each other? On the shows that I'm currently producing, the video is just for the interaction. I don't produce any video shows. Do you even record it? Because I know that that's an option where you can just let it roll. And I think a lot of people record it. And the reason I ask was that, that makes the file so big. You know, there's issues sometimes transferring files. Yeah, so normally I use Squadcast and they actually, well, now they have a beta version, I think, where they do record the video. But I just use the audio only version. So I don't ever record the video. Your preference, though, do you like video when you're doing an audio podcast? Because I don't. And I'm curious always why people use it or why people don't, regardless of whether or not they're putting out video. I don't need video either. In fact, I prefer the video being off because then you can really use your ear. Well, actually, to me, it doesn't matter. Let's put it that way. I really don't care either way, but I'm fine with audio only. And the thing with audio only that's good is you use less bandwidth. In order to show each other's video, that takes up some bandwidth live when you're recording it. And so that could cause glitching and stuff. Usually it doesn't, but it could. So anyway, I just prefer video off, but a lot of people do, just like average normal people, they actually do like the video being on because then it feels to them like they're actually talking to someone. Well, they want those cues, and that's what I was going to say, is that if it's somebody who really needs those cues, they're not thinking of it like an audio piece of work that's going out. Right. And what I've found is that if we've got video... Like, okay, you see over there? Okay, see, let me hold this up. Let me grab this for you. You know, and it's like, whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, whoa. You've got to think ahead to where the listener is. And that's one of the reasons that I like just audio only, because it forces people to think ahead like that. Yeah. You can't see this, but in my hand, I've got a book, and it is blue, and the title is, you know. Yes. Oh, I agree. Thousand percent. I think what's interesting here is you have podcasters that you're interviewing that are very experienced, or audio engineers. You have people who have possibly no experience. I deal with a lot of people who were somewhere in the middle, let's say. Somewhere in the middle. They know about microphones and they know about podcasting. But it, I think it's interesting to look at those three different elements. And I think it would depend on who you're recording, what the best way to record them is. I know some people, I think they let things slide. For example, if I had, let's say I had Robert Plant on my show. Right. 
Now, Robert Plant, he's been around microphones all his life, sings into them, speaks into them. He may not be an engineer, but he's also Robert Plant. And if I had a guest of that caliber, I might let him talk directly into an iPhone. Normally, I do not. Do you make those concessions depending on who the guest is and what value they bring to the table? Yes. And the reason is usually because that's all they have. Like It seems like the higher the profile guest the more that they just make up their mind how they're going to do it. And that's it. Like a lot, in fact, a lot of them still want to call in on the phone. They're like, just give me a phone number or you just call me, you know, and uh, which is fine. And then you got to deal with it. And, you know, but if you're, if you handle it professionally and record it professionally and then do post-production professionally, it'll turn out really well. It'll still turn out well. The listeners will still be able to hear the entire conversation and enjoy it. When my clients reach out to their guests, I give them like a quick little sound checklist but when we actually all arrive in the session, in the recording session online, I step-by-step step walk each guest through a sound check. So we start with like, what kind of computer are you using? What microphone are you using? Are you you know wearing headphones or earbuds? And like, I go over everything. And this is right before the call. This is right before we press record. Yeah. We do something similar, but we do it maybe a day or two in advance. Got it. Yeah. Super important. All right. So you're walking each of these individual people through this. It's a, a flight check. It's a checklist. Yeah. And the reason I'm doing it is because I want to record the highest quality audio and avoid a lot of mistakes. So basically that little sound check session, which is two or three minutes, it can be 10 or 20 minutes even if someone's like, oh, because a lot of people, believe it or not, a lot of people show up as a guest and they'll actually have like a real microphone like in their closet. And they just won't plug it in. And so I connect with them and say, hey, so what mic are you using? Well, I'm just talking into my laptop. Oh, do you own a real microphone? Oh, yeah, I own a microphone. It's right over there. And I'm like, well, can you plug it in? Can, like, yeah. can we use that? Like, so anyway, but again, I have nothing against people who don't know anything about audio. And I'm more than happy to patiently walk them through everything. I don't want my attitude to come off like like I'm snooty or something about audio. Like a typical engineer. Yeah, like I'm not. I, I, I really, I understand <laughs> that I have to handle people really carefully. And I do. And I've been doing it for years and years. Anyway, I just wanted to put that out there. Because sometimes when we talk about it, I can sound like I'm Mr. Arrogant Engineer Guy. Oh, but I'm really not. are known for that. If you go to a club, like you and I both have a background in the music industry. Don't touch the mic. I mean, these engineers are... <laughs> It's, it's right. <laughs> you know, it's the German train station. They're, they're on a schedule and that train is rolling, baby. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're on it or not. I want to go back to knowing the mic, though. You hit on something that I think is really important is that one of the reasons I ask about what mic are you using is because I do run into that. And if you can't see people, sometimes you don't know if they don't know how to use the mic or if they're using a different mic. And I'll say, you said you had an RE320. It sounds like you might be coming through the computer monitors. Oh, yeah, I am. I just decided just to do the, the computer speakers. It's like, well, could you go get that? That's another reason that you want to know their mic and another reason we do the sound check. The other thing we run into is sometimes, as you know, inputs get off. A funny story about the mic I'm speaking to now, a BP-40 by Audio-Technica. I got it and I plugged it in. I was just testing it, never used it before. And I looked at the waveforms. I said, man, those waveforms are really hot. And I played it and it sounded like balls. Mm. Then I realized I was going straight through the computer mic. Right. I was like, oh, so this mic actually is, is, it is working. It's not, it's not just a bad mic, but we all run into that. So I think that 
you hit on something when you run into it, you got to be cool. And I, I think that you, Marcus DePaula, the guys I've known that are from the music industry, somehow you've developed that coolness to where nothing phases you because there's a lot that can go wrong. And when the clock is ticking and clients are mad, you're changing the vibe of the recording session when you come in and act like a jerk or not. Yeah, that's definitely what I do. I mean, there have been a handful of times where the guests just went way over the edge. Like, for instance, I'll be like, okay, let's uh, let's test this or let, let's try changing this setting. And the guests will be like, hold on, let me grab this other mic and plug it in and let me fire up my computer. Or like the guest will just start doing like 87 things simultaneously to try to right. fix the, the problem with the sound, which they don't even know what the problem is. In those situations, I, I really try to be, okay, hold on. Sometimes I'll let them do that for a little while, but it usually gets nowhere. And then I'll be like, okay, can we go back to what we were talking about before and stuff? But there have been a few cases where the guest was like, they just, again, a lot of these guests, they feel like rock stars and they just want to like, they just don't care about quality. They don't care about anything. They just think they have this huge ego and they're just on top of the world. And I'm just this annoying engineer who's asking a few stupid questions that don't matter. Right. There's been a few times when I'm like, okay, we're done. I mean, sound check over. Great job, everybody. All right, we're recording. Go. Do your stupid episode. I don't say that, but that's how I feel. Well, you know, it, to take it back to that form that I mentioned, that's the reason that I have that form. I understand I will be edited. I will be in a quiet place. I understand this is a professional show. I will be using a quality mic. It sets that control right. immediately. I do say all that stuff right at the beginning of sound check. They don't listen to you. <laughs> We're going to do sound check to make sure you sound good, because if you don't sound good, people aren't even going to listen. And so that's why I'm here. I'm, I'm Chris, the engineer. I'm going to help you walk you through this. Is that okay? And they say, yeah. Are you the first person they talk to when you connect to these sessions with the host and with the guest? You're the first person? Sometimes. I mean, sometimes me and the hosts are already there, and then the guest shows up and says hello to everyone. Yeah. The reason I ask is when I do a remote session for Music Business Radio, I've got two other people on the line in addition to the guests. I've got a producer and I have the engineer. And something I have noticed, a lot of times people do think of the engineer as technical or maybe people are intimidated by the engineer because the engineer, in honesty, I mean, this is how it should be. The engineer is quiet during the thing. So there's a little bit of intimidation because you can't see her, you know she's there and they're having that rapport with you. What I try to do is make sure that the guest understands that the engineer is in charge. And I do that by asking the engineer questions. So this is something the host would have to do. The host would have to set you up and let you knock it down. Right. Stephanie, I'm getting a little bit of echo. Do you hear that too? Is that just me? You have better ears than I do. Right. She'll say, oh, okay, well, I get, you know, and I think this goes into setting it up. And this is more psychologically than getting into the technical elements of getting a good recording. Right. But like we said about having like a great engineer in the room with you or on the session with you, that is important. And it's important that everybody be on the same team. But at the same time, one of the things that I've found, and I'm curious how you handle this, is that I always want to be on the same side as the guest. And that is to develop rapport. So the guest is going to be open to interviewing me. Sometimes I'm counting on that engineer to be the bad guy. Mm. And by that, I mean, do whatever engineers do to get this thing better. Because if I say, whoa, 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 as, as the host, man, you sound like balls, dude. We got to fix that out. That kills the report instantly. 
I'm curious if, if you run into that or it sounds like your situation, um, it's like you're handling it and then it's, then it's done and you guys are, are going with it. Pretty much. At times, yeah, the host will say something like, hey, I hear, I, I hear some echo, Chris. Is that a problem? And then I'll work with the guests to figure it out. But mostly, even the hosts that I work with, I mean, over the years, they actually learn a lot. Like, just by working with me and sound checking all the guests for like two, three, four years, like, right. they could probably do it themselves. And, right. you know, and, and which is great. But no, normally it's, you know, they just leave that part of the session to me, the sound checking. And, you know, hey, Chris is here. He's our engineer. He's going to sound check you. I do my thing. And, and of course, I can also hear a lot more than anyone else, meaning I can hear little hums and little things. And I can yeah. usually hear straight off the bat if they're using the wrong microphone, like if they're, if it's their laptop mic that's coming through in, instead of their BP40 or something. So, yeah, you've trained your ears to hear things that... Other people cannot. And I don't know if that comes with time. I know you've done a lot of, I'll call it ear training, uh, not in a, yeah. a music sort of way, but but you know, if I said, what frequency is this, Chris? You'd say, well, that's about the 4,000 hertz. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. <laughs> there's know? there's a platform that actually you could play audio games, like with frequencies and stuff. It's pretty fun. Sound gym. Anyway, more than like naming frequencies and stuff like that, it's more just like my whole life I've been working with audio and I've been recording audio and processing audio and mixing audio and mastering audio. So like when I hear audio, I just know what I need to do to it. I know what EQ I need to apply and I know I can dial in a compressor and all this stuff because it's like a painter. You get to know all your paints and yeah. when you mix these two yeah. paints together, you get that color. It's like yep. times a hundred, right? So anyway, yeah, it is ear training and that, I mean, that's my, I won't even call it a secret weapon. That's my differentiator, right? In in the world, I think it comes with time. Yeah, you, you know, you and I did the uh, double blind eight mic test, <laughs> where I was testing my voice on mics, and I would say, "All right, Chris, let's talk about this mic." I remember two things from this. One, you said that sounds like an RE twenty. I can't remember what the. I was like, "How did you know?" It's like you, you're that good. You're so familiar with the sound and with how things are EQ'd. Uh, yeah, that sounds like this mic. Nobody would have been able to do that except audio engineer with experience. Yep. But the other thing that I remember going through that process, and I've worked in audio for a long time too. I've been podcasting and doing radio since the early 90s, but seriously since 2005. So it's not like I'm not in a studio listening to myself, not like you. But after going through that and listening to how you talked about it, I could actually hear some of the differences between the mics. I was like, oh my gosh, now I see why he's saying that the RE20 is better than a BP40. I got to go get me an RE20. <laughs> Yeah. I do think that this stuff comes in time. And I was going to say, just for anybody who's listening, that if you are not an audio engineer, you're just a podcaster, know that you will develop a lot of these skills, much like Chris's host that he's been working with. Sometimes these things just, they just happen because you've been around it for so long. Yeah. And that's the whole purpose for my podcast. Every other week when an episode comes out, it's just talking and teaching about audio production for podcasts. And if regular old podcasters just listen to my show ongoing, it's like you'll absorb so much knowledge and it'll just, if you're a sponge, you'll just absorb it all. And then when it, it'll, it'll sort of seep its way into your production. The other thing that I've noticed, and this is from hanging out with you, Marcus DePaula, Josh Suey, a lot of the audio engineers I know that come from the music industry is that 
If you listen to podcast engineering school, you're going to want to buy equipment. <laughs> well, maybe. You're going to convince yourself, oh, I, I need that. I need that. I want to talk about, before we get into that, getting people to actually show up for the interview. This is another thing that I have noticed coming from the in-person interviews where we did everything in person for 15 years and then we couldn't do it because it wasn't safe. Now everything is 100% remote. The other thing I've noticed, it's very similar to Zoom, is that because people think it's just a Zoom call, oh, I'm getting on the Zoom call with WRLT, they're more likely to cancel. They will cancel 10 minutes ahead of time. Hey, man, look, I, I, I got to take the dog out. Oh. It's, not, it's not quite that bad, but it feels <laughs> bad to me because I got three guys on the line. Right. So we started this, this session talking about the text that I sent you. Something that I have done is when people fill out this form, I've got their mic. We know that that information automatically goes to the engineer. We have everything scheduled based on, because we're going worldwide now, everything based on your time zone through a calendar. So we don't have to do time zone conversion or anything like that. And we also get a phone number where I can send somebody a text the morning of, which basically says, Hey, just a reminder, you got an interview 10 a.m., whatever their time zone is. Yeah. How do you guys get your guests on the same schedule that you are? Do you have no-shows? How do you handle no-shows if somebody cancels and – I know I'm throwing a bunch of questions out there to yeah, you. Yeah. If somebody cancels and then reschedules and reschedules and reschedules, how many chances do you give them? I'd love to know your thoughts on that because that's certainly changed in the last 12 months since we've been dealing with coronavirus. As far as cancellations – I've never had a problem with that. I mean, I've probably only, you know, I've done what, 212 episodes of my show. There's literally maybe two or three cancellations ever. It just, this just doesn't happen. And also with my clients as well, there are almost never any cancellations. And I think this is the reason why. Let's start with my clients. When they're booking a guest, there's like an email back and forth checking times like, hey, how's Tuesday at 4 p.m.? And then the guest might say, well, no, how about Thursday at 9 a.m.? And they'll settle on something. And then my client will send the guest, you know, the sound check notes and whatever notes they need. But I think through that email back and forth, the guest must realize that, hey, this is big. And, you know, this isn't something you right. can just right. cancel 10 minutes beforehand. So I think, I think right. the guests take that to heart. For my show personally, it's usually, again, just email back and forth with a potential guest. And so then it's like, hey, you want to be on my show? And usually people who are on my show, most of them actually already know my show. They're already listeners. And they want to be on it specifically. It's not just another podcast. Yeah. So that's how that works. The booking aspect of it is I use uh, what well, used to be called Schedule Once. Yeah. So it's a calendar program. It's a calendar program. And <laughs> that's that seems like such a 90s thing to say. It's a calendar's program. It's, it's calendar app. Sorry. Oh, it's an app. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I'm back there in the 90s with you, bro. So anyway, my guests, I just send them the link and my guests will book themselves on my calendar. Same thing with my clients. I give my clients my booking link. And when they want to book an interview yeah. with Mary Sue, my client can literally just go on my calendar, book the session. That's it. So that works out real well. And then as far as cancellations for that. Sometimes my clients do cancel a session and reschedule it, but with the scheduling tool, it's easy and they don't even have to call me. They just go in, change their booking and it's changed. It moves on my calendar and 
It's pretty simple. Well, well, let me tell you why I have removed the reschedule link from, because there's a reschedule option, there's a cancel option from the calendar app. Hmm. I removed the reschedule. Let me tell you why. Because we have people, we record every Tuesday. And again, I've got me, it's an engineer and a producer. So three people that are scheduled with you as the guest. So we'll have a guest come in. Ah, I just don't feel like doing it tomorrow or whatever. They'd reschedule, they'd book it to the next Tuesday or four Tuesdays up. And it holds the date because we can't book more than one guest at one time. We've only got the studio and the engineer and the producer scheduled right. every week at that time. We're not that flexible, right? It ended up starting to slow down our production because you've booked this Tuesday, two weeks out. We can't book anybody else there. Then you canceled it. So we can't fill it that late. And now you've booked it two weeks out from that. Yeah. We can't book anybody in that date while you're holding it. So it's a lot like booking a club or something like that. It's like, we got this this date that we can't use other than you. Right. And if you drop it, we're behind in schedule. So what we have done is we have said, you can cancel it. Because if you're not going to show, you're not going to show. We can't control that. But you may not get another opportunity to be with us. We'll do our best. I don't try to be a jerk because things do happen. Before we had this session, I, I had a phone call from a mortgage company. <laughs> so, you know, things things happen. I try to be flexible. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, I think it's unprofessional to have somebody. And when you talk about somebody coming in as a rock star, that's usually who I'm interviewing is literal rock stars. And they're used to having the world revolve around them. And it's like, eh, depends on which kind of rock star you are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're Taylor Swift right now, we'll do that. <laughs> right, yeah. You'd probably do a remote recording if Taylor Swift wanted to be interviewed. Uh, tin can and a string, Taylor. There you go. <laughs> we'll, uh, you'll smoke signals. We'll translate it. You know, that's the reason, though, that I, I put that text message in. And I can tell you how to do it because people ask me about it all the time. All these programs, if you're using Schedule Once or whatever it's called these days, if you're using Cogsworth is the one I use, Book Like a Boss, they all have an API, and you can hook that up to Twilio. And if you're getting the mobile number, you can hmm. send text messages. You could send voice recordings. You can, with the API, send email automations, which we do as well. So that helps it just, I think, to show that you're on on the ball. Yeah. It's funny when I saw that you had mentioned that text. I was like, oh yeah, I did put that up there. Because I don't usually do a lot of interviews for this podcast. It takes a very special guy to be an interview on Build a Big Podcast. <laughs> You're referencing that I, I actually took a, on my phone, I took a screenshot of that text message reminding me of this episode and I posted it on Instagram, which I haven't posted there in a while, but I don't know. My Instagram is like blowing up. Like I haven't used it in like two months and it's all of a sudden blowing up. And I'm like, well, maybe I should actually post stuff. So it's been interesting. The big podcast Instagram, I've started posting photos of other people's studios and funny podcasting memes and the community around it. It was fascinating. And what got me thinking about it was my wife is in photography and Instagram is their form of social media where models, agents, anybody in that business. And I saw what she was doing with us. You know, maybe I should look at Instagram, but it is, it is interesting. I think it's a cool way to have, I guess, behind the scenes. If you're not doing video and stuff, people can see that it's real, but it also allows you to focus on audio, which that's what we're talking about. Yep. So let's talk about some of the other issues you run into when you're doing 
remote guest. Is there anything else that we haven't gone over yet? I mean, how do you make them sound great? If they're on the phone, obviously, you're cleaning them up afterwards, but you're probably cleaning up everybody afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, I'm doing post-production on everybody. And that, and and that's the whole reason that when you do professional production, you need to record each and every participant on their own track so that you can process it separately later. And so that's why Squadcast and Zencaster and these platforms, CleanFeed, they record separate tracks. But yeah, there's there's a ton of stuff. So it starts with, you know, the computer. When's the last time you restarted your computer? And if someone says, oh, it was July of 2001, <laughs> I will say, well, we need to restart your computer because <laughs> that happens. And you might need a new computer at that point <laughs> as well. <laughs> so anyway, that that can be a problem. Someone's computer, if they if they have all kinds of other programs running on their computer, you know, their Dropbox is synchronizing, they're automatically doing yeah. things in the background. It's like, no, you got to just restart your computer and only open a couple programs that you need, like the browser, whatever else, if you need some notes, but don't open up every single application on your computer because that takes away resources and, and all that. So that's right. that's actually pretty important. Side note on that, do you mention now that a lot of people are home because of quarantine, do you say like, hey, any of the kids playing video games, watching Netflix, do you mention any other thing other than just their computer? So you bring up a, the next great point is, the, is their internet connection. Yes, I do ask about their internet connection, and hopefully they're hardwired with an ethernet cable, but not many people are. But even if they're connected on Wi-Fi, which most people are, I'll ask them, how strong is your Wi-Fi? Is it good and solid connection? Usually they say yes, and that usually ends up being good enough. There has been a few times when the guest will mention that, oh, the kids are in the house or whatever, watching Netflix. I think there's only been one or two times ever that I brought up this idea that if there are a bunch of other people in the house using a lot of internet and downloading and uploading things that... Hopefully there won't be a problem, but if yeah. we do have a problem, yeah. that might be why. And I, I've never asked anyone to go, you know, kick their kids off their TV or something. I, I, I never actually asked anyone to do that. Yeah, I've never had to do that. I, I think that one of the things that we do, do you ever do this? Do you ever, ever have them do a double ender? Like sometimes we've had issues with a microphone, but because I interview musicians a lot, they're a lot of times in home studios. I say, yeah, you got a, a good mic. Let's say, yeah, because the RE20 is just a drum mic. I don't think it was made for voice. Maybe it was. Regardless, a lot of studios have it. And do you have RE20? Yeah, I got RE20 for kick drum. Okay, cool. Could you just record this on your end locally while we're going through our connection? Sometimes we've done that just to make sure if like an internet connection is iffy or we're not able to work out the mics. Do you ever do anything fancy like that? Not that that's fancy. It's fancy for them. Yeah. Uh, not fancy for us. Yeah. No, you know, I, I don't. Okay. So with clients. Okay. So for my show, I do ask again, because the people coming on my show are going to talk about all the advanced audio production equipment and knowledge and skill and, and all that. I pretty much assume that they'll be able to record themselves locally. And so I ask them, guests on my show, I ask them, I say, hey, can you record yourself locally? And they're usually like, yeah, no problem. And they can just bring up, however they record it, they'll just record it themselves and then send me the file. Yeah, because those are the best recordings, right? You can't beat right. a local recording straight to an app that records in high resolution. <laughs> sure. But as far as clients and stuff and regular guests on my clients' shows, no, I don't ever even bring that up 
the fact that they could record themselves locally. I don't even bring it up because that's what Squadcast and Zencaster and CleanFeed do, right? That's that's their job yeah. is they're actually recording each participant locally and then uploading it in the background really slowly, right? That's what they do. So let me throw something out to you that I ran into. You may have run into it. You will probably eventually. These apps that you're using, Squadcaster, Zencaster, they work best on Chrome for whatever reason. Or uh, Brave or Dissenter, which are other browsers built on the Chrome framework, but they're not run by Google, so they don't use all your information and all that. And nobody's ever heard of this browser. Brave, I think Brave is fairly popular. <laughs> Dissenter is less popular. I'm having a hard time getting somebody just to install Chrome, which is the point. Because if somebody, they said, well, I use Safari. Okay, well, we need you to use Chrome. Here's something we have run into. If somebody is installing a browser just to record with you, and as soon as you are done, they delete that browser. Right. There are no backups on their system. So if something happens to your upload, we've run into this. We had something that went wrong with the upload. Hey, listen, we need to get the backup off of your browser. Oh, I've already downloaded it. Oh, okay. Well, we got to record that section again. Right. That can be a problem. So just kind of a heads up, it was not something that we wanted to do. It may not be something that most people run into because what we're doing is radio. There are four segments. There's commercial breaks in between. So we basically do one, reset the session, two, reset, reset it after each of the four breaks. If you're just doing one, you've only got to worry about one upload. But if something happens with those uploads, it's nice to have that backup. So it could be if, if somebody has installed a browser, say, hey, could you leave that browser on for about a week? Well, we make sure that this audio file is good because there's a lot that can go wrong on the Internet. Yeah, that's pretty good. One thing I do is, is r- immediately after we stop the recording, I tell the guests to stay on. Don't go anywhere. We're just going to chat for a few minutes and just... We're going to make sure all of our audio uploads. And then I literally, from Squadcast, will download their audio once it's finished uploading on their end. I'll download the file, and I will actually open it in one of my audio editors. I usually open it in RX8 just to see it. And I can see that it's the whole file. Yep, it's a 40-minute file. That's the whole interview. And I can see the waveform through the whole time. And I don't even need to press play because I... You can see it. It's just the fact that I got it. And yeah, I got it. That's it. Now it doesn't matter. Now the person can delete Chrome. They can do whatever they want because I have it. I love that because sometimes you can't get people back again. I'm waiting to record or re-record a fourth section with a guy. And we had to go and I think transcribe my side of it so I know what I asked. It's got to fit in with the first three sections. It's a mess when you've got to go back and piece together a full episode. Now, this is radio. And we've got some standards that maybe don't apply to your podcast. But regardless, you want your stuff to be good. And it's tough to recreate the moment. It's almost like, Chris, I don't know if you've ever done an interview. You probably have because you've done a lot of them. When you get to the end of it, you're like, oh, man, that was great. That was like a once in a lifetime experience. Oh, man, I forgot to hit record. (laughs) Could we start over again? (laughs) You used to work in studios and you know how important that moment in time that you're trying to capture is. If there's a performance, you can't get it back. Yeah. You can try. Yeah, that's why when in the studios, when the the singer went out to lay down their lead vocal track, they would always say, let me just warm up. Let me just run through it once. You tape it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The engineer always hits record. You always record everything. Yes. You don't tell them either. You just record it. And then, of course, guess what happens? 
they give a, an amazing performance and they're like, oh, we should have recorded that. And the engineer's like, uh, we did. And they're like, oh, awesome. And then they come running into the control room because they want to hear it back. Well, there's something about the psychology of that, isn't it? Being in the studio with guests and we're in a small booth, probably uh, 25, eh, maybe 30, 40 square feet with four people. And they see that red light go on and they see that big ass timer on Pro Tools. <laughs> they start getting nervous. Yeah. Uh, they were like, you know, super eloquent during the pre-interview, hanging out in the business office. We take him in that studio and they get nervous. And I think there is something to be said about thinking that nobody's watching you. You know, the phrase dance like no one's watching. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Sometimes you'll think of something cool. We get nervous when we're being watched. Totally. Oh my God. Big time. That's maybe another reason when you go back to audio versus video. I like the intimacy of audio because I'm sitting here. I call it the red room, mm. the booth, but it's just a tricked out walk-in closet with a bunch of foam and packing blankets and yeah. carpet. It's it's very intimate. How many people like hang out in a closet? It's a safe space, right? <laughs> yeah. You can get those kind of conversations, I, I think, with that. But if people are worried about how they're coming off, and I find this a lot with celebrity people that are worried about like the gotcha interviews, right? Like they don't want to be made to look stupid and they really have to look at what they're saying, that's an issue. What we have found is we get people so laid back because of the pre-interview and just trying to be cool, like you're talking about, being the cool engineer. A lot of times, sometimes people say something that they later regret, and we'll get that call when they're driving home, like, oh, hey, yeah, you know, when I mentioned this thing, would you mind cutting that out? It's like, okay, cool. (laughs) But people do get nervous, and I I think we've got to realize that when we're recording people, especially in your situation, Chris, if you're dealing with a lot of people not on the podcast engineering show, but other podcasts that you do where maybe they've never been on a podcast and they're nervous. Yeah. Yeah. That's why like sometimes when I'm sound checking a guest before the recording starts, if it's a particularly uh, excruciating sound check, meaning it might take 20 minutes and it might be like, what happens is if the sound check goes on for too long because of technical problems, the guests can start to feel like, oh, I'm screwing this up, I'm wasting yep. time. And, yep. and me as the engineer, I say, look, don't worry, this is all normal. We do this every episode. You're doing yeah. fine, and I'm here to help you work it out. We're going to work this out. Don't worry about it. And then after we work it out, then I make a clear point to say, all right, now we're all just going to take a minute, take a deep breath and breathe and, and laugh about this. You know, <gasps> takes a breath and it's funny. Yeah. And then because it's, it's, it's like you need that buffer. It's almost like a palate cleanser. You need to get that sound check out of your head and just start to feel like a normal person. And now we can talk about business or whatever the topic of conversation is. Yeah. That's one of the reasons we do it on a separate day. But even if we do it on the day before, or a couple of days before, they still got to reset up their stuff yeah. for the actual session. And we ran into that on a session I did yesterday, the other thing I noticed that even if their recording is great, because people are not used to talking to themselves, it's just a phone call basically, but you're doing it into a microphone and they know it's a little bit more than just a phone call and they know people are going to listen to it. There is a lot of ego stroking or ego boosting, like where I've got to have the producer come in. I think we just do it intuitively. Oh man, you're sounding great. You're doing great. I'm sure you ran into that with these temperamental artists when you're recording musicians, because there's a lot of bravado when you see them at like an award show or something. But behind that is 
a very insecure person. Like, are people going to like this new song? Are they going to like this recording? Am I still going to be famous? Yeah. It's a ton of pressure. Yeah. I don't know any way other than just chalking it up and getting in there recording it and trying to be as cool. But yeah, that's why you want somebody like Chris on your line. Chris is a, a cool, laid-back guy. Yeah, you just have to, uh, you know, keep everybody pleasant and sort of happy and just like, you know, hey, don't worry, I'll take care of it. That's that's the role you play as the engineer. The attitude you bring with it is huge. We've got the performance. They know what they're getting into. We've got the microphone. We've got them there in your scheduler where they actually show up. What are some other ways that you can make sure that they sound great? The space they're in is really important. That's also sort of related to their microphone technique as well. This is something that average people have no idea about, but the closer you get to a microphone, the more level you'll get into the microphone and into the recording. People don't know that. It's okay. If they're in a really bad room that has a lot of reflections and they're far away from their microphone, it'll sound especially horrible. It'll sound like they're like 40 feet down a hallway. There's this so much echo. It's really bad. Because the sound is bouncing around rather than going directly into the mic if you're closer. Yeah, exactly. So it, the technical term is signal to noise ratio. So the signal is the person's voice. That's what you want, the signal. And the noise is this all the stuff you don't want, which is the echoes bouncing around the room, the reflections. That's why I said if you're far away from the mic and you're in a room that is really reflective, that's the worst case scenario. If you get close to your mic and you're still in a room that is very reflective, you will sound a lot more clear. There'll be more signal to noise, but you'll still be able to hear the room. So the best is if you can be close to the microphone and also be in a room that doesn't have too many reflections. The room people are in, they usually can't change that, but sometimes they can. Like when someone connects, if a guest connects to a session and it just sounds like they're in you know, the Taj Mahal, uh, and I'll be like, well, is there is there another room you can go to in the house? Because yeah. your office is really bad. And sometimes they'll say, yeah, I can go in the den or something, sit on the couch. And so they can actually, yeah. you know, depending on their mic and their whole technical setup. Closet is where I send them. You got a walk-in closet full of clothes? Yep, that can work too. That's the space part of it. And then the mic technique is is a big part of it too, where you have to tell people, you're going to set up your mic and, we're, and you're going to sit in front of it and... Once we start recording, you can't really move. Don't move away from the mic. Don't move too close to the mic. Just basically stay in the same spot the whole time. That helps with the recording with the level. Do you tell them how close? How close to the mic do you want to? Well, so it depends. Depends on the mic. It depends on what kind of mic it is. I mean, if they have the dreaded blue Yeti, then yeah. <laughs> you're not gonna, they're not going to be able to get their mouth too close to it. And even if they do, if they don't have a windscreen or a pop filter then the mic is going to distort with all the plosives. So with a Blue Yeti, it's like you got to be kind of close, but not too close. And It's a sweet spot. Yeah. Then there's regular you know, handheld mics where you can, if you have a pop filter, you can get pretty close. A uh, lot of guests actually connect to podcasts and they use their earbuds microphone for their microphone. What do you think about that? How do you like it? Well, that's a whole... Okay, so first of all, it's easy for the guest, which is great. And some earbuds actually don't sound too bad. Some can sound really good. There's one huge danger with earbuds microphones, and that is if it rubs against the guest's shirt or rubs against yep. their hair, 
If it rubs against yep. anything, that rubbing noise, that is literally one of the only types of noise that it's virtually impossible to remove it in post-production. I mean, we can remove everything with, with Isotope RX-8. You can remove so much. Background noise, reverb, which are the reflections, uh, mouth clicks, hums. There's a list of 30 different things that RX-8 can remove, but that rubbing sound from an earbuds mic yeah. is not one of them. <laughs> so, And it's so constant, too. There's so much of it. Yeah. It's not like a fire engine going by for five seconds. It's 30 minutes of... Yeah, it's like... So that's one thing, like, you know, during soundcheck, if they're using earbuds, I have to make sure that, hey, look, if that thing rubs on your shirt or your hair, it's going to make an amazing amount of noise, and you're not going to hear it. That's what I tell the guest. Do they hold it up to their mouth? How do you work around that? I don't tell them to hold it up against their mouth. I don't like that because... uh then their plosives can actually really distort that little microphone. Right. So what I tell them is if it's dangling like in front of your chest, hold the wire with your hand, hold it like three or four inches away from your chest. Like just hold it so it doesn't dangle freely and therefore rub up against stuff. Just hold it away from your chest slightly, but you don't have to hold it up to your mouth. That usually works the best. The problem is a minute and a half into the interview, they forget that they're supposed to hold it. They let it go and it starts rubbing. And then sometimes I have yeah. to butt in and say, hold on, hold on. You let go of the wire and now it's rubbing. And they're like, oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry. They thought they could get away with it. Sometimes that's the case too, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I try to be a hard ass when it comes to great audio show up with a mic man if you're going to do podcasting invest 60 dollars yeah. in a mic but the truth is i mean sometimes people aren't willing to do that and sometimes they've got good enough information for you or you just want to interview them and you got to work with what they've got but i like what you said about the, the there's some stuff you can't work with it doesn't matter who it is it's not going to be worthwhile yeah and and the thing is every session for me is different. It's like, it's a new guest with a new setup that I've never talked to. So it's like, it's been unbelievable practice the last five, six years running these recording sessions over the internet, because I've faced every problem, every audio problem, every internet problem. I mean, it's, it, it's, and, and that's one of the reasons why I spend so much time on this in podcast engineering schools, because, you know, if you're going to try to produce podcasts at a high quality, you have to avoid all these problems. These are major problems, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and you got to be flexible because they're different every yeah. time. That's a great way to wrap this thing up. I want a story, Chris. You've seen so much of this. Give me the story of when things just couldn't get any worse and how you handled it. Well, we had one sound check. Remember I said before that the sound check, it might take three or four minutes or it might take 10 or 20 minutes. We had one that uh, lasted an hour and 10 minutes. <laughs> It, <laughs> it was it at some point it just became funny it was almost like a joke like and we all just were like yeah. like we all were in on it we were and we were, we all kept a good attitude somehow but it was uh, literally like yeah the person was on one computer and their mic wasn't showing up so then we switched microphones and that took another 10 15 minutes and then that still didn't work and then they're like well i have this newer laptop right here and we're like Okay, let's try that. So then we switched computers and then we went through each mic again. It, like we just had to go through <laughs> literally everything and nothing worked. And then finally, after an hour and 10 minutes, we got it working. And they actually did the interview, 
which was an hour long interview and uh, it actually went fine. So it ended up, <laughs> ended up okay. We had one of those the other week. I wasn't on it, but my engineer, Stephanie, was, and she said, yeah, it took about an hour. And the funniest thing to me, again, interviewing musicians, it's these guys that are around microphones all the time. They've recorded them, they've spoken them, performed on them. And for whatever reason, a simple podcast, they just, and that kind of adds to the hilarity of it. But thank God for guys like you and Stephanie that are willing to put up with that. Yeah. Like you said, guys who have audio geniuses and engineers that for some reason when they show up to a podcast they just it's just because they don't understand that you can still do a podcast at professional quality level like it doesn't have to be something that sounds like garbage through earbuds and through your phone like it it can actually sound good they just don't know that yet i mean i interviewed dan dugan i mean the guy's a legend he created the auto mixer i met him at nab about a year and a half ago For my show, the Podcast Engineering Show, episode 100 was like a celebration episode, which was awesome and fun. And then 101, 102, and 103 were like three of the most amazing episodes I've ever done on my show. And Dan Dugan was one of them. And he was using a a Sennheiser MKH416 microphone, which is a great mic. It's a $1,000 shotgun mic. It's one of the best shotgun mics ever created, ever. And even the Hollywood movies, they use it everywhere all the time. It's just a great mic. He was using that mic, but he was monitoring me through a pair of speakers. And I asked him if he could plug in headphones. He's like, oh, I don't have any. And guess what? So I literally had to, in post-production of the Dan Dugan episode, there was so much feedback from my voice because my voice was coming right through his speakers and right into his microphone. And it was nasty nasty feedback so i had to go through his track with a fine tooth comb and just delete everything and it was it took a while and it ended up it ended up okay not perfect but it ended up fine maybe some people didn't even notice but it just goes to show that just because someone is an audio genius or an engineer if you invite them to be a guest on a podcast it doesn't mean they're going to show up with a great mic and great gear and and show up all professional it's just because it might not happen Something I've noticed with the musicians that I've talked to, and we talk about marketing on that, but let's say I've got it. Let's just say it's a it's a big act. Let's say it's Led Zeppelin, since I mentioned Robert Plant earlier, and it's not Led Zeppelin. But let's say I got a band of that level on there, and we're talking about marketing. You realize pretty quickly those guys have absolutely no idea because mm-hmm. they are so far beyond anything that the average musician could relate to. And it was a different time when they came up. And I think these audio engineers, for example, that have great records or great whatever, but they've been working at a level that's completely different from us sitting in a closet with a 286S and a Scarlet interface. It's like, it it's two different conversations. And it's not that they're not good, but they just work at a different level. And I think that's something I think is good for all podcasters to think about. Cause I see so many people, they say, Oh, you know, I want to interview Richard Branson because he's a legend. He'll add credibility to my podcast. It's like, well, Willie, Willie, you're talking about network marketing. What does Richard Branson know? He knows about record labels and airlines and hotels. Hmm. He's not going to be able to give you any advice on how to sell your pills, potions, and lotions. Hmm. That's starting to rant. Uh, <laughs> I want to talk about podcast engineering school real quick. You are taking this thing to a new level as far as training people who really want to be better at podcast engineering. If you go back to 2005 in the early days of podcasting, people did what I call a ramble cast. 
they just get on a recorder, tape player, whatever they had. Hey, I'm walking through the store. Yeah, man, you know, which flavor of Doritos is best? Man, you think it's Cool Ranch or is it nacho cheese? <laughs> it was just rambling, sounded like balls. <laughs> there was no great content. Two things have happened. One, we've gotten really focused on content and telling great stories. And also guys like you, and I'm crediting you for this, Chris, you are really holding that torch as a guide for people to have better audio on their podcast. You're showing us what's possible. And podcast engineering school is one of the ways that people can do that. Yeah. Well, thank you for those kind words. I mean, there, there's been people all along that have been teaching people how to buy a microphone and plug it in and record and stuff like that. Basic audio stuff. But my school is the first school to really go deep and tell people like, look, if you want to become a podcast engineer and a producer and an editor, and if you want to work from home and you want to make a great living, like six figures plus producing podcasts and engineering and editing, you can. That's what I do. And so now I'm teaching people not only how to do that, but teaching them all the fundamental audio knowledge they need to be an actual professional and to have that level of confidence where you can walk into companies and say, look, I can produce a podcast for you. If you ever want to produce a podcast, let me know. That's what I do. That's exciting for me because the industry is still growing. It's so funny. When I got into podcasting in 2012, everybody was like, oh, podcasting has grown every year. And guess what? It still grows every year. <laughs> it's like it hasn't right. dipped once. Yeah. So there's so much opportunity out there for people who want to produce podcasts. The only thing is you got to know what you're doing. And you got to be the guy who knows everything <laughs> and knows how to do stuff yeah. and knows how to avoid all the problems. And then people will actually trust you and hire you. Look, watching YouTube videos ain't going to cut it. You know, you need training. And that's what my school does. Yeah, I think that engineering is one of those things, much like maybe web design was in the 90s. Any guy who knew how to put up a basic website could get a job as a webmaster. Not anymore. You've got to have a different level of skill. And if you're interested in having that level of skill with engineering, Chris is the guy. We didn't really go into your music background, Chris, but I mentioned it briefly. You did come from a music industry, like where you're recording musicians, like Puff Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> so, if, hey, if you can make Puff Daddy sound good, <laughs> real talk, real talk. No, very talented guy. But I mean, there's a lot of a lot of work that goes into putting out like a major label record. We make it think like it's a three-minute performance, but it's not. It's a lot of work, and there's a lot of work to a podcast. It's not just a conversation. So Podcast Engineering School, you've got sessions all the time. You've got some great stuff and also a great podcast that I guess is weekly. I love what you do with what you call the daily goodies. It's like these really small tips. Sometimes it's something you can implement like right now, like within a minute, like Get close to the mic. Yeah. If you've never heard that before, that's a game changer for you. Oh, I was wondering why this thing didn't sound so good. Yeah, because this is what I thought. I thought so, oh, because it sound fine. <laughs> but I guess this might sound a little better. I'm not sure. You just got to walk a few inches. So if you want that kind of advice, <laughs> Podcast Engineering School, Chris from Colorado, thanks for being here on Build a Big Podcast. I'm glad that you sent that Instagram message because I was just going to ask you about audacity and take the risk that... You weren't going to hang up on me. <laughs> well, thank you, David Hooper. It's been wonderful talking to you, as always. I can't wait to see you at the next live event, which I guess might be Podcast Movement in August, in which is in your uh, city there. 
Yeah, it's in Nashville, and we may be actually doing our own live event connected to it. I've been talking to some MI companies, MI being musical instrument and people in the pro audio space, because we've got all these great studios here. So yeah, if you're coming to Nashville, I'd love to connect. And if you're here, Chris, yeah, we'll definitely get you in there to share more good audio advice. And I always appreciate all your, your emails and your newsletters about how to build a big podcast, how to market things. And you always have really deep ideas, but also different ideas. You have this talent of combining like core fundamental knowledge of marketing with like what's possible today. There's something about the way you present that stuff that resonates with me and I really like it and it makes sense to me. So, so great job with all that. And thank you for all that, brother. You know why that is? It's because you and I, one, we're in the trenches now, but we were in the trenches in the music industry. And I think when you see the parallels, like we just took what we were doing in music and changed it to podcasting. Right. And I think that coming in with that foundation of performance and recordings that were meant to last, last years and years and years, I think that has changed everything as opposed to what podcasting was. But I think that's the exciting thing about podcasting. Everybody's coming into it. We're all bringing our own thing. And the potential is still there and we're going there. Yeah. So here we are. Well, Chris, thanks for being here. It's Podcast Engineering School. Absolutely go check it out. I mentioned this. I'm going to tease this. If you check out one episode, check out the eight mic double blind test. (laughs) That was great. Chris is showing me the difference between these different mics. And that's a common question. If you're wondering what mic to get, you might walk away with all eight of them or at least seven out of eight. (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing about it. One more warning on it is that when you listen to this, you're going to walk out with some more equipment. So (laughs) freeze your credit card. And we didn't even get to plugins. Forget that. (laughs) No, no. Yeah, that's dangerous territory. All right, Chris, thanks for being here on Building Podcast. Thanks, David. That was Chris Curran from Podcast Engineering School. A cool guy. Definitely the guy that you want in the studio with you. Super laid back. Like we talked about, setting people at ease, making them feel comfortable. Sometimes that's all you need to do to get a good interview. Just get that comfort zone going. People will start talking. They'll give you good stuff that you can work with. If you want more from Chris, check him out at podcastengineeringschool.com. For me, I'm at bigpodcast.com, and you can subscribe to this podcast at bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. It's free. I've got more great episodes coming up about how to record a better podcast. The next one, very specific to Audacity. That's what I initially was planning to talk to Chris about, but I brought in somebody different. I've got an Audacity expert for you. You're going to love this guy. That is next on Build a Big Podcast, and you can make sure that you don't miss it by going to bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. Appreciate you, and I'll see you on the next episode.